This is Rob Roverge, uh, author of The Cost of Living, and you're listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is Magnificent Vibration by Rick Springfield. As in the guy that did that one song, right, Livius? He has done um, several songs, yes. Okay, but he did that one. Um, Jesse's Girl? Eight, six, oh, yep, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, he did not do that song that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, he apparently wrote a book as well, so uh, we're going to be talking about that. But uh, before we get into that, here's his bio that we pulled from Simon & Schuster. Rick Springfield has been writing and performing music for more than four decades. That's longer than I've been alive, by the way. An accomplished actor, he has starred on Broadway, headlined in Las Vegas, and starred in numerous movies and TV series. He was featured prominently in Dave Grohl's highly praised 2013 documentary, Sound City. He maintains an active touring schedule, playing more than 100 dates per year around the world. He lives in Malibu, California, with his wife, Barbara. All right. Here's a little bit about... uh... Uh, <laughs> I was going to try to do this with a straight face and I can't. I was going to read the synopsis for the Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet album um, because that's something I'm really excited about. Um, instead, I'm going to read the, the synopsis for this book. <laughs> Why are we here? What is love? Is there a Loch Ness monster? Does God send text messages? These are all questions Rob has asked me, right, Rob? Especially with Why Are We Here? You started that, I think, uh, when we started this. Like about three minutes ago? Yeah. Yeah, this particular episode. (laughs) Um, These are the kinds of questions Horatio Cotton, also known as Bobby, asks in New York Times bestseller Rick Springfield's debut novel, Magnificent Vibration. After stealing a mysterious self-help book called Magnificent Vibration, Discover Your True Purpose from a bookstore, Bobby calls the 800 number scrawled inside the front cover only to discover that he has a direct line to God. This launches Bobby on an unlikely quest serendipitously accompanied by a breathtakingly sexy and exceedingly sharp travel companion named Alice. Together, the pair sets out to find some combination of spiritual and carnal salvation and possibly save the planet. By turns hilarious, poignant, over-the-top, and deeply meaningful, Magnificent Vibration is a highly original novel about the biggest question one man or mankind has ever asked, which is, is there a Loch Ness Monster? Yeah, I, I agree with some of the words that you were used to describe this book. So, about a year ago, um, somehow I came across the fact that Rick Springfield was going to have a fiction um, debut, and I insisted, I, I just got to slam my hand down the desk, but that's really bad for podcasting, I insisted <laughs> that we were going to review this book come hell or high water, and hell and high water both came. And uh, I got Rob to agree, and now we're going to talk about that book. Yeah, we we read it. <laughs> we did. We read it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we read it. Um, yeah. So why don't you go ahead and kick it off there, Rob? Um. All right. So a little bit about the book. It kicks off basically with a uh, the the protagonist Bobby, whose actual name is Horatio Cotton, but. He doesn't like his name Horatio, so he goes by Bobby. Um, has just recently been divorced and is kind of at his, uh, you know, wit's end. 
and is contemplating suicide, although he had recently stolen a book from a bookstore and uh, of like a self-help kind of book called Magnificent Vibration. Notice that there was a, a phone number scrawled inside. Uh, I think it was written inside. And um, it was an 800 number he, and that claimed to be a direct line to God. And so he, on a whim, calls the number and it ends up actually being God. And that kind of sets him off on his path to, I guess, be a part of saving the world. Yeah, he he has a conversation with God, and um, you know, as as he's not necessarily convinced that he's speaking with God, he's a little freaked out, um, and he winds up going out to get a drink, as you do after you talk to God on the phone, and he meets Alice, the breathtakingly sexy, as it said in the synopsis, a nun, which was not mentioned in the synopsis. Um, Alice is a nun on. Uh, kind of, I don't know, spiritual hiatus, trying to kind of find her place and, and see if being a nun is, is you know, is it for her, if that's the thing she wants to do. Um, and she runs across Bobby, and they start talking, and it turns out that she also just, well, she purchased in steel, but she also obtained a copy of Magnificent Vibration. So, uh, what's it called when uh, the, the Amish people, when you're about to become an adult or whatever, and they go out into the world? Uh Oh yeah, they want to remain an an Amish person, Rumspringa or something like that. Yes, that's it. Something along those lines. Yeah, that's essentially what happens with Alice. She kind of like leaves the the nunnery, the convent, Mm -hmm. to decide if she wants to stay a nun. Kind of like nun Springa. There you go. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I was holding that one in for a while. So, and then, you know, obviously this, this kind of goes on from here, but what, what we get is um, a lot of back and forth, and, and the sections are broken up between um, Bobby, who we're following now, um, and, and Horatio, which is Bobby's past that's brought up in kind of like alternating chapters. Yeah. Um, we do get chapters from some other characters here and there, um, including some insights from God. Um, but basically what we find out is that Bobby, or Horatio, when he was a youngster, became really sexually obsessed <laughs> with religion. <laughs> I, with, I, I don't know, with with women involved with religion, I guess. Not with religion itself, but the, that religion has always been a turn-on for him. Yeah, the combination of religion and women, like religious women, women doing religious things, that type of thing. So let me let me ask you a question. A, a while ago, we reviewed um, "Good Sex, Great Prayers" by Brandon Teets, and that was kind of billed as a um, as a religious erotica book. And, and if you remember at the time, I totally didn't get that vibe at all. Right? Is do you think Rick Springfield was chasing that kind of religious erotica thing in this one? Uh, um, I, I don't. I never occurred to me that that would be the case. I, I don't think so, but. Um... It'd be, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. I just, I got <laughs> more of that vibe from this than I did from a book that was billed that way. Yeah, I could see that. There's definitely more of, yeah, a, 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 a strong theme of sex tied to religion with this than there is with um, good sex, great prayers. Yep. It's interesting. So, um, shortly after Alice and, uh, I was going to say in Rick, but this isn't actually like a biography of Rick Springfield. <laughs> this didn't Shortly just happen after... to Rick Springfield? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. It's not billed that way, so I don't know. 
Um, but shortly after they, uh, you know, meet, um, they run into a third person who also owns a copy of that book. Um, and his name is Lexington Vargas. And he is kind of like a reformed gangbanger, but kind of a quiet, bigger guy, but kind of quiet and reserved. So the three of them together kind of go on this journey that uh, the the acquiring of this book has led them on. Yeah, they're essentially drawn together by fate or by powers greater than themselves to do something. They're not really ever very clear as they go along what it is they're supposed to do. They just kind of know they have to do it together and they know that um, that God or whatever a, 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 some supreme being is, is guiding them in a direction so that's what draws the ragtag group together and um, somehow the Loch Ness Monster gets involved <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah there's a little bit of of um, Loch Ness Monster love from the Horatio chapters of, of Bobby as a kid, um, which is obviously some foreshadowing. But there's also some of the other chapters of different characters. Uh, takes, there, there's some stuff that takes place in Scotland um, that uh, involves, you know, in the past, that involves characters being out on the lock and everything. So it kind of all kind of builds together until closer to the end when the Loch Ness Monster plays, or possibly... The Loch Ness Monster plays a, a, a larger role in the story overall. But um, in the meantime, there's a lot of interesting things that happen, like uh, marital infidelity and uh, a lot of references to Twitter. And, um, and yeah, stuff like that. Plane crashes. It's interesting. Yep. Um, so that's kind of, I think, the overall story of the book. You know, there are some other actually not that many side characters that pop up there is that whole scottish side um which is seemingly very unimportant to the book in general um there's a an antagonist named merrick um who shows up uh, a few times in very um mysterious fashion and like i said he's probably the the closest thing to you know a villain that this book um that this book has um all in all <laughs> or, I and guess the ex-wife <laughs> Yeah, and the ex-wife. No, yeah, the ex-wife's probably the biggest villain. You're, you're sorry about that. Um, Horatio's ex-wife, whose name I don't remember. I, I don't even know. I think Baby was mentioned in the book, but um, yeah. So that's um, that's really that's that's really the whole that's the whole thing. There's also Murray the dog. And do you want to talk about Murray the dog now, or do you want to wait? Um, we could talk about Murray the dog now if you'd like. He is he is a character in the book. So essentially, um, the in in kind of the back, uh, the flashback parts of the book, uh, we see Bobby's uh, kind of growth through teenage years up into. And we didn't even mention the fact that he had his sister who died, um, but anyway, uh, the the teenage years till he was an adult, got a job, and um, that's where he met his wife. Um, that. Uh, they eventually, so they met through, they worked together, that's how they met. They ended up getting married uh, on a whim. They kind of, he kind of wore her down to the point where, where they got a dog as a pet. And um, later on in the in the big messy divorce, she got to keep the dog out of spite. He She got to keep pretty much everything. He was left with nothing. So she, she got to keep the dog and it was kind of a, a really sad kind of point of contention for him. Um, 
So the dog kind of drops out for a little bit, but comes back later on. I don't know. Do you want me to tell the whole thing, Liv? Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, why not? He, he eventually, because this is not a spoiler because this storyline goes literally nowhere. Um, he eventually gets the dog back from the ex-wife as some sort of consolation or she's just tired of the dog or whatever it is. And the dog, I mean, there's this like lovely chapter where they're like running through fields and it's like, you know, like you can hear the happy music playing in the background until the dog runs out in front of a car, gets hit and dies. It's like a chapter. Yeah, yeah it, it, it is. And um, Rob is right. Um, it, it goes it goes absolutely nowhere. So yeah, even though it's late in the book, it's not very spoilery. I, I will say that, um, and and you mentioned the sister, and I can't believe we, we kind of missed that as a character in the book because she's a very plays a very pivotal role. And I think the thing that that the dog demonstrates in that relationship is Rick Springfield's ability to write sad really really well because you know it, it's covered in like four paragraphs the death of that dog. But it was really, really sad. And I'm not one of these, like, sentimental dog people or anything. You know, where I go, oh, my God, something happened to a dog. I'm crushed. I, I think that in a very short period of time, he was able to really write a very, very sad. You know, it wasn't like, oh, the dog got hit. That's it. You know, he spent less than a page on that whole part. But I, I think he did that really well. Well, one of us does. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> let's talk let's talk about the sister because she is a big deal and I think the reason we didn't treat her as a big deal is the past and any book is the past and the story is always about the now you know the the, the present right. um, he has a sister named Josephine who he loves um, very very dearly um, throughout the course and she's she's troubled she she has some issues um, but then she gets very very sick and, and he and some other people you know have to care for her um I'm not really sure. Here's my problem with this book. There are lots of little things I liked about this book, and there's some little things I think he did really well. And again, you talk about sad. There's his whole relationship with his sister, um, especially after she gets sick, is really, really sad, and I thought written very, very well in its sadness. But it's another storyline that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. I'll agree it's with a, that. It's a really big deal. Um, in his youth, and, and it's very important to him. But in the scope of this spiritual journey, it's like we were talking about the dog incident before we started recording, and, and Rob's like, hey, I killed the dog, dude. Nobody ever kills a dog. And I'm like, well, yeah, we killed the dog, but I totally expected that dog ghost or something to come back and be important, <laughs> and it didn't. And I totally expected his relationship with his sister to come back and be important, and it didn't. And the whole thing with the ex-wife should have been really important, and it wasn't. <laughs> Did you agree with that stuff? Like that, that there was these parts in the book that were very big for the character, but did nothing to, to graduate him forward as we see him today. Yeah, with the exception of banging the priest's wife... Um, that's right, Rob did just say banging the priest's wife, because that's what happened in this book. Because <laughs> that came back later when his wife cheated on him, it was like turnaround, yes. you know, turnabout is mm -hmm. fair play kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in Bobby's youth, the um, priest's wife is is one of the caretakers for for his sister when she's very ill, and the priest's wife turns out to just be a whore who has sex with everybody. But that's that's his first sexual experience. Um, one of his only sexual experiences is yeah, having sex with the the wife of the priest. 
Yeah, so I think that's pretty much what we can say about the story. Uh, I do have some points that I want to talk about. We've already covered a little bit, but I've, I've got some thoughts I want to throw out there. Okay, let's let's do that. First of all, you never kill the dog. I want to emphasize that. It's just it's like story storytelling 101. You don't kill the dog, and he killed the dog. I just can't believe that. Um, there and there was just like some inconsistencies. And, and Livius, you can um, in our notes, I have a couple of things written down. Mm-hmm. Do you do you know if either of these are wrong? What I wrote down, there was one where um, there was a character that uh, an in, a less consequential character that died at one point and. Um, willed something to to one of the main characters, and I thought that that character had a spouse. But I, and then, but when they died, there was no mention of a spouse. Am I am I wrong about that? No, you are correct. Okay. So that kind of threw me off because I was like, wait, why is this person inheriting it? Because they had a unless they unless the spouse died first and they never mentioned it, which would be kind of yeah. Weird. I didn't catch that when you when you when you wrote the note. I was like, yeah, that's right. And I was like, maybe they. And I was like, no, I don't actually remember them mentioning it. The the whole that whole point leading up to that, which is the the Scotland side of things, yeah. really didn't make a lot of sense to me at all. I mean, just as it was it was written, I couldn't. I'd say I couldn't follow it. It just wasn't very specific or descriptive. It was kind of these outtake scenes. Yeah, I could follow right. the the flow of the story on the U.S. side, no problem. Exactly what was going, on. you know what I mean? And then they would kind of flash to this, and I don't know. It just all seemed very. You knew it was supposed to be important, but it felt very unimportant and not very well put together. <laughs> you did a great job of making plot points that you realize aren't actually important. Mm-hmm. And then what about there's another one where. All right, so there's this one scene in the book that's actually kind of a... It sounds cool, and I think cinematically it would look cool, where um, these three kind of people who are brought together by fate and don't really know what's going on are driving down a highway. And a plane out of nowhere... I think it was raining or something. No, I, I'm imagining it overcast. Um, like Because <laughs> you're doing the cinema thing for when we go see this movie. Right. <laughs> um it kind of it's as if it's coming in for landing but it ends up it basically crashes but like kind of lands on the highway in front of them and the reason they don't get caught up in the in the plane like landing on them is because the Vargas character suddenly out of nowhere shouts out for for him to stop the car but i i don't know if there was a reason why it happened like he just said it and then i i kept thinking oh they're going to explain how he knew to stop the car and they never did, so I don't know if he looked up and saw it, but he was reading a book at the time, so it was just really confusing to me. Yeah, I I don't really remember that part, but there were other instances where, through this book, and of course I didn't make note of them, that I felt there was information that should have been had. <laughs> a lot of assumptive writing. Like, you just assume that we figured that out kind right, of thing. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that I didn't catch that as I was that particular part, but I do know there are a couple times where I kind of had the same reaction you did. Like, wait a minute, I, I think I missed something. Yeah. And then I kind of decided that wasn't important enough to go back and, and check, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want to talk about uh, God? Not, not really, but I should, I guess. Um, there was a God character. Did you like the God character? No. No, I didn't. Neither did I. Um, God was written, and and he so God makes uh, four appearances, maybe, 
during the actual course of the story and then there are some outtakes where it's god kind of like wherever he is in heaven or whatever just kind of checking things out on earth and in the universe and he was written to be very car- cartoonish almost in my opinion i don't know if that's really the right word but he was trying to be kind of hip and funny but in a really kind of dorky way i i, I don't i I, get, I don't know <laughs> I didn't get the God character at all. Nah, the God character kind of sucked, if you ask me. Well, it's... it's it, This book reminded me of bits of a lot of other books. And, and in some ways, in some ways, and, and don't, don't kill me for saying this, it kind of reminded me not so much of Jesus, but almost of a little bit of the Biff character from Lamb by Christopher Moore. <laughs> you know, kind of slapsticky and and, mm. and trying to be funny. Although, you know, and again, not that not that Biff was the the religious icon in that book, but you know what I mean, and kind of that really goofy, yeah, kind of way. Um, like, but as if it was written by like E. L. James or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably that way. Um, not that I was looking for in, in a story where you know God has a, a cell phone you can call or whatever. Um, not that I was looking for, you know, the the omnipotent power, the the voice of God, but you know, if, if you're going to write him funny, you know, base him on, you know, a, a good comedian or something. It's just it it all seemed very kind of wacky. Um, yeah. And, and Christopher Moore writes wacky, but he writes it in a very very funny way. And and God was meant to be funny, I think, but wasn't just just wasn't delivering. Uh, to kind of illustrate that, I'm either willing to read. The first, like a little bit of the first chapter, like the very first kind of like, there's a, there's a bit, um, where he explains he's about to call God cause he's like thinking about killing himself. And then there's the actual, like kind of start of the story is him making the phone call. I'll either do booked theater with you or just read it myself to kind of give an idea of how kind of cheesily the God character is written. What do you think? Um, let's, let's do book theater. It has been, <laughs> Quite some time, and and somebody—I was going to say people, but I'm pretty sure it was only one person somewhere. I read that this this book was being compared to Max Berry's work, and that might be the last time we did book theater. That ex- yeah, I think it was. <laughs> wow, what's the chances? Um, yep. Which do you want to be God or do you want to be Bobby? Um, I, I will. I will be God. All right, give me the hard, the heavy lifting here. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to do the. Uh, are you are you at the place? I am. I'm going to do the. Uh, the little action description, and then mm-hmm. and we'll jump into it, okay? Yep, yep. Beep, 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 blippity, beep, blip, beep, blippity, blip, beep. Hello? Hello? Uh, yeah. God? Yepper. Oh, great. God says, Yepper? What is this? An 800 number that sells salvation for five easy payments of 995 Ixnay on the Amskay. Yepper and Pig Latin? You sound like a geek. I'm betting there's a bad haircut and a Star Trek t-shirt on your end of the line, yes? You lost me. Ditto. So I'm supposed to believe that God's this is God's personal line? Probably not. But there isn't very much you believe in at this point in your life, is there? That's a pretty large claim, considering you don't even know who I am. I know who you are. Well, that just sounds creepy, like you've been spying on me or something. Trust me, you walking to the corner Starbucks every night to buy a ham and Swiss panini and a 
grande chai latte is hardly surveillance worthy. The fuck? And that barista is married, dude. You don't stand a chance. What? Who the hell is this? You should know. You called me. How do you... How do I? Is this somebody I know? I like to think so. Shall we move on? How... Okay. So, God, what's up? Certainly not your prospects, hence the call. What's that supposed to mean? What can I do you for? You want to keep going or no? No, this is terrible. <laughs> I, don't, I think I think we've given people a good a good feeling of this this first phone call to God. <sighs> All right, the first one is particularly awful. I will say the subsequent calls are a little better, but this first one is brutal. So essentially, the the book starts out with like two um, pages, three two three pages of of build up to I'm going to call God. Including clip art. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> At several places throughout the book, the only way I can describe it is clip art. Is it clip art? It's clip art, right? Uh, it, yeah. I mean, it, it was custom made for this book because later on there are things like, you know, names on things or, you know what I mean? So it's not, it wasn't all from like Microsoft Word's clip art gallery. <laughs> Oh god, it some was it, custom some clip of, art? Some, some of it was custom, yeah, towards the end especially. It was, there were a few in a row where I was like, yeah, this proves it's not actual clip art. <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> you know. Uh, or maybe that's how we named the characters and wrote the story is by the available clip art. Anyway, so so then it, so you're, you're right, up, right off the bat, you're thrown into this just ridiculously terrible dialogue. And, and I, I got... Livius had gotten a, a reading the book far before I had, and I, I started reading, and I got to the God conversation and the clip art, and I was just ready to just be like, "We have to pull this. We're not going to read this." <laughs> yeah, he did it once um, for me, and yeah, I was about it, to pull. I was about to pull the rank on you there. Oh, this was. Um... This was kind of tough to to read, and and I I had some some issues too. I know we got off track with with the the God conversation, and and the, but there's it's so goddamn repetitive. We didn't mention Woody. Do we mention Woody at all? Not yet. All right. So um, Horatio and Bobby, both the older and younger versions. Um, obviously, uh, Horatio as a kid is kind of obsessed with sex, which we talked about, and this continues on into his adult life, but he refers to his, uh, to his male member as Woody, which is, you know, so original. <laughs> but, um, how many times does Woody come up in the book? Uh, 61, I believe. By name, Woody comes up 61 times, but Woody is, is a goddamn character, because Woody has commentary on lots of things. And I don't have an example pulled up in front of me. And quite honestly, I'm not going to look for one. But it would uh, it would be along the lines of, oh, you know, I, I saw Alice walk across the room, and then Woody has a line like, "Hey, man, let's go get some of that." You know, like, like you know, just this this you know where he's going. No, Woody, Woody, calm down. You know, we, we got to yep. behave. And, and, then, and it was just brutal, brutal. And then he's like. Like and then he'd he'd react to Woody like in an, an exasperated way, like not again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it, it so bad, so bad. And and part of the problem was I could have taken a little bit of that, but it was sixty one times. 
and I think probably if I had to guess, and I could be wrong here, probably 50 of those times was some type of, you know, kind of like Rob mentioned, half conversation with, with, with Woody, you know, inside his head. Um, one of the other issues I had with repetition was, and, and this was very hard to read because Horatio or, or Bobby's reactions to things. So, you know, a character would say something to him and you'd start to read this line in quotes where Bobby kind of flips out on the guy and shows him who's boss. And then oh, it goes yeah. back and says, but no, what I said instead was, and he's this very meek character. But it was really hard to read because when you use quotation marks, you can't always determine that it's his penis talking to him in his head or it's this imagined conversation that he has. You know, so you'd read along and, you know, after the eighth or twelfth time, you go, okay, this, this he's not actually saying this. You, you know, once you get into the you know, fifth or sixth word and you see it kind of has this, this, you know, it puts forth a domineering personality, you go, yeah, this isn't this isn't what's happening. But it, it really broke up the flow of what little story there, there was. <laughs> and it, this book actually made me have a thought that I never had before, but I, I want to explore a little bit. So, um... Have you ever thought about... I was thinking about, in the very beginning, I, I disliked the book a lot, as, as we mentioned with the God conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I was like kind of actively monitoring how I felt about the book as I went along. Because I, I, in, mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to this place where I was worried that I was going to experience like a level of Stockholm Syndrome from the book. Like, as <laughs> I was going to start identifying with the book because it was my captor, in a way. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't get away from it, so... <laughs> and and then like justifying the book's act- actions against me, <laughs> which were to be not a good book. Uh, so have you ever thought about that before? Like, if you start out reading a book and you don't like it, but eventually like you feel better about it, is it that the book got better or you just got desensitized to the trauma that it was delivering at you? I've never really thought that, but I did have kind of a thought that maybe I don't know if it's kind of along the same lines. <laughs> you know, e- expectations. And what you're set up for. And again, I'm going to go back to good sex, great prayers. Um, and I'm not doing this just because of the, the you know religious erotica comment. But if you remember, I said, you know, this book suffered from, you know, from having, and I really enjoyed that book, you know, from having a synopsis that wasn't accurate. I, I kind yeah. of didn't expect this to be as silly from the synopsis. I know it says it's hilarious, but it also said it was poignant and there's this spiritual tran- you know, the journey that they're on. And I really expected there to be these things. And I really didn't think it was going to be kind of a slapsticky um, book. So maybe I would have enjoyed this better if I felt that I was more um, accurately guided into what to expect. You know, this silly romp through spiritual, you know what I mean? Like maybe I could have swallowed this a little better, but I was kind of expecting a a much straighter book that maybe was funny in parts and and not a book where every time we we talk, almost every time we talk to Bobby or Horatio, he's trying to be funny, which, which he succeeds some of the time, quite honestly. Um, It's just like this book didn't take itself seriously. I guess the other thing that it bears mentioning because... (laughs) Um, at some point you get starting, you start to get beat over the head with it is the, um, earth message. Mm -hmm. Um, basically, uh, the, the God character, which is also at different points in the book referred to as the omnipotent super being, the OSB and the name Arthur Mm -hmm. for some reason, uh, 
starts talking about how the the planet's in trouble and and it's not going to survive long and then there's other parts of the book with different characters and different perspectives that that the earth is basically in trouble and the humans are are destroying it and the earth is a living thing and so there's this really kind of crazy hippie vibe coming from like the and then and that's the kind of the moral punch of the story is the whole like the we're we're destroying our planet um which was confusing to me because overall the book takes the huge logical leap of of saying there is a god but then kind of puts god to the side and says you're killing the earth and it was just really kind of a confusing um contrast and the god character doesn't really matter because it's the earth that's trying to def- to to fix itself so that whole earth message was it was obviously he was trying to do but why, why god was involved doesn't really make sense to me yeah um it's another storyline that kind of went nowhere um, I, I know why God was in the book because it's it's an interesting premise that you know you have this direct line to God, and He's going to send you as His missionary on this spiritual journey. Like that makes sense. That's been done plenty of times, I'm sure. I, the, the movie Oh God comes to mind, um, which was based on a book. But you know the, the George Burns character, you know, and then John Denver, whatever. But I mean that's you know, and, yeah. and this has been done before. So I mean I get why God was in the book. I just don't get why that didn't really go anywhere. Um, yeah, it's in like Rob said. There's a lot of things that you beat over the head with. I gotta tell you, he drives this uh, a Kia. I am a Kia owner, <laughs> and he he beats up on on this Kia. You know, from a standpoint of you know, it's a hamster mobile. It's this. It's that. And you know what? The first couple times, like even even as I wasn't offended being a Kia owner, but the first couple times I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> And then by like the twelfth time, I was like, "All right, I get it." And then it went on for another fifteen, sixteen times. I, I don't know how many, but it was it was bad. It was very everything was very repetitive. And the problem was it wasn't. There's some good in this book. I really believe there's some really good stuff in this book. The problem is it's overwhelmed, and you have to dig through the repetitive crap to get to it. Now, on that note, do you want to do some quotes or do some wrap ups? I don't have any quotes. Um, you know, I I have some quotes, and and I probably should because I'd be kind of down on this book. Um, but there are some good there are some good lines in here, so I'm gonna just burn through a couple real quick. Um, I, I really like this. Uh, very early in the book, um, Bobby's in a bar. This is right before he meets Alice, and he he whatever is walking through the bar to go to the washroom, and he's talking about the other the, the all the women in the bar, and he says uh, none of them notice or give a shit. They're all busy meeting and greeting guys. Their kids will eventually have to spend the weekend with. I really like that. There's a little bit of social commentary there, um, done in a in a pretty good way. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, okay. So here's one of the things I really liked is um, Horatio's first encounter with with uh, religion and sexuality is um, there are some uh, Mormons who are going door to door and and come to his house, and this is uh, this is from that part. We'd love to come in and talk to you about our amazing church. Again, it's the perky girl talking. She seems to pick up on me and my unyielding gaze directed mainly at her sumptuous breasts as the easiest mark and begins directing her carefully rehearsed spiel to yours enthralled. And this whole thing goes on with uh, 
in this way, and it's just part I had highlighted its dimension, but he says, I push open the screen door like a zombie Mina Harker inviting Dracula in, and then he refers to her as Dracula for the next, like, three chapters, which I found just goddamn hilarious. So, <laughs> um, I, I actually thought his relationship with that girl, I forget what her name is, um, I like that. So there's some things I, I did like about this book that was one of them. Different parts of the book are written in different fonts and different sizes, which was you kind of used to determine what you were reading. So my regular reading size was anytime they were in Scotland. And uh, th- this was an example of someone trying really hard as he was writing kind of silly and simple through the Horatio Bobby stuff to, to write literary, I think. The blood-drained winter sun is an impotent, diffused ball hanging low and idle in the haze of a dawn sky. And it goes on like that for a whole paragraph. Um, where everything else that was written from Bobby was very, I don't know, standard fourth grade level writing, I think. Would you agree with that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, other than, I mean, I have a few more, but there's there's really not, not a lot of point um, <laughs> in going on. Uh <laughs> I think we could go ahead and kind of start our wrap ups. I think we've we've done, I think we've done enough damage to this book. Yeah, um, I'll go first. Okay. All right. So I was very reluctant to agree to read this book when I found out it was written by Rick Springfield. Um, not for any specific reason, other than like it's kind of someone jumping over from their primary body of work or what they're at least what they're most well known for. Uh, to, to something new. And what that can do is basically uh, let them kind of skip in line over people who maybe have worked harder or longer for the same thing. Um, now, th- saying that, I don't know if he'd been published like short stories or anything else before. I know he had an auto autobiography that was written and, and published, but I don't know if over the years he had published like anything else uh, previous. I don't think so. And judging from the the book, I'm I'm seriously doubting it. Um, The book itself, I I immediately had a bad taste in my mouth from the whole God conversation over the phone at the beginning and the clip art that was sprinkled throughout the book. Um, And then, I think Livia's put it best, there's a lot of stories that, that just don't go anywhere. There's a bunch of bits that I think um, someone could have had ideas for, oh, what if this happens in a story? Or what if this happens in a story? Oh, this is an interesting thing. Um, And they just kind of got thrown together. And and while they do kind of create, there's nothing that's just like, well, what the hell does that mean? That all kind of fits into the story, but it doesn't mean that it enhances the story. And it's basically a collection of parts uh, that don't really enhance the overall plots and I tried really hard to just give the dude the benefit of the doubt but uh, overall I mean it was essentially like I was reading uh what was intended to be in the in the vein of a of a satirical uh like a Christopher Moore Max Berry S.G. Brown kind of book but written at the level of like an E.L. James Fifty Shades of Grey just really kind of low quality writing um, and, and that just kind of ruined the whole thing for me. So, um, that's, I, that's all I, I don't even know if I've ever given this rating before, but I'm going to go one star on this. All right. Um, yeah, I agree with pretty much everything Rob said. Um, it did remind me, um, 
a, a lot of, and, and I don't believe Rick Springfield has ever been published in short stories either. I, I will say this, that I, I, I'm, I am a fan of Rick Springfield in case this is the first time you've ever tuned into the show. And one <laughs> of the things I really like about him is his ability to write very good lyrics. Um, that did show through a little bit in parts in this book, but this book was so just so over all over the place. I, uh, you know, some things we I mentioned kind of touched on. Uh, I'll give you some of the great highlights. I think that his relationship with his sister um, was written really well and written in a very very sad way, especially you know towards her demise um, later in young Horatio's you know story. Um, the 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 romantic overtones and the relationship um, that he he's trying to develop with Alice in the current in this story I thought was written pretty well and I and I like that you know and that's kind of what I expected more of in this mainstream novel a little less of the silliness there are some parts that are really funny um, for example I didn't cover this in the quotes but he uh, when he finds out his wife is cheating on him he, he finds out it's with like twenty five dudes and a couple of them are guys he knows so he goes to confront him and he goes and in, in, in confronts the his dry cleaner who's an Asian guy and that that whole scene is a little drunk. I thought that whole scene was, was pretty funny and, and kind of in that Christopher Moore, you know, like you said, S. G. Brown kind of style and I thought he did okay with some of those parts. But so many stories that didn't go anywhere. Um I, I think and I obviously have nothing to base this on it's almost like, and I think we talked about this with the wolf gift, um, that Anne Rice has her own, like, I turn it in, you just print it the way it is, you fix, like, any punctuation <laughs> or misspellings, and, and you go with it. I almost feel like this could have been much better, not not great by any means, but um, if there was a really heavy-handed editor that, that sent this back and said, look, we need to chop out the 14 million references to the shitty Kia car and, and to your, to your junk and, um, you know, and those types of things. I just think it suffered from kind of poor editing. Um, not, not in the, you know, spelling punctuation, but like I said, kind of clearing up some of the inner, inner dialogue that he was having and, and cleaning it up. And I think that it would have flowed better. Um, alas, that didn't happen or it happened in a very, very poor manner. Um, I'm so disappointed. I so was looking forward to this, and I so <laughs> wanted to like this. Um, and, and ultimately, I liked bits and pieces of it. I, I almost feel like like I read an anthology. Like there were so many things that didn't go anywhere in unrelated stories that you know some of the stories I really liked, and, and some didn't. But this this wasn't you know I, I can't base it on that. I have to base it on the on the whole book. So. Um, Oh, yeah, it was terrible. And I had another point, and I kind of got off track. And I'm trying to remember, because that point was very important. Although not enough for me to remember what it was. So, maybe if it comes back to me later in the episode, I'll bring it up. Because <laughs> I get the feeling I'll be talking about this book for a long time. and not. Na- oh, um, the ending was really, really ambiguous. And here's my issue with that. We've read other books that have ambiguous endings, and I'm not a big fan. But when a book presents itself in a more literary fashion, I get it. This was very, very definitely written for mainstream and doesn't call for an ambiguous ending. So at any rate, yeah, I don't think that mainstream books need ambiguous endings. I think it's, uh, there's times I read literary books and I think it's kind of a cop-out. And with this one, it was a huge cop-out because I just don't think the structure of the book, um, it, it needed something. It needed a cleaner ending. At any rate, um, I'm, uh, I'm going to go with Rob on this. It's, it's, it's one star. Wow. Uh, re- regarding the ending and whether uh, it's ambiguous or not, I have a thought on that. And I was think I, I mm-hmm. built I built this theory while you were talking. You ready for this? I'm totally ready. He just copy and pasted the ending of uh, Dan Brown's Inferno. Spoiler alert! 
Yeah, yeah. I, I obviously I thought of that too. Um, <laughs> y- yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I just it was such a goddamn disappointment. <sighs> I am greatly saddened. Well, speaking of disappointments, uh, we did uh, we didn't we we missed a chance to meet up with um, one of Booked's uh, kind of every now and then contributors, A. Adam Otten, who uh, would have he he's in the area of Milwaukee, and we were up there uh, this past uh, week to to do the noir at the bar, and uh, we didn't get a chance to see him, so we were kind of disappointed about that. But um, I guess. He actually did try and meet up with us. We just must have uh, uh, missed each other. I gave him bad directions. Totally bad directions. Yeah. But he did send in a little thing about it, so uh, uh, we're going to play it for you right now. This is A. Adamon in Little Chicago, a.k.a. Milwaukee, reporting for Booked Outside Noir at the Cantina. Let's go inside and see what the hubbub is all about, shall we? On second thought, let's not. Tis a silly place. Yeah, when I talked to when I talked to AAA on the phone, we had kind of a terrible connection, and I said Milwaukee, and I think he heard Moss Eisley, and that's yeah. So, so our apologies, our apologies to one of our favorite Adams um, for for not being able to hook up, but uh, we'll definitely have to to do it another time. I'm just marveling at the fact that you made. A movie reference that was far better than I ever could have for a star for for Star Wars. I, I, it's just astonishing to me. We should probably explain that because um, the the event was originally, I guess, it wanted to be called, but it was Noir at the Cantina because um, it was supposed to be at a cantina, and that cantina, which you will hear a little bit about in uh, in a future episode when we bring you that recording, um, closed rather unexpectedly, so it was moved to Noir at the Pizzeria. It was Noir at the Pizzeria. With Iron Maiden beer, yeah, we'll talk about that in uh, in next week's episode um, when we bring you Noir at the Bar Cantina Pizzeria from Milwaukee, Moss Eisley, <laughs> Tatooine. I don't know. Uh, well, sorry we we missed sorry we missed you, Anna Martin, and uh, we'll have to either make an excuse to get up there again just to hang out, or the next time we got an author blowing through Milwaukee, we'll definitely. Um, Make make sure that we can all get together and and grab a drink or something. I, I know which author that's going to be already. If you didn't catch that from Saturday, no. What Robert Crace? Did you hear me talk about Robert Crace like over a period of an hour afterwards <laughs> at the after party? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about that after party. That we'll talk about it in a little bit. We will. But AAA is not the only sometimes contributor to this particular podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we um, we haven't really talked about the phenomenon of this new segment of the podcast. We just kind of just let it go, right? We haven't <laughs> we haven't <laughs> we haven't explained it to anybody. I don't think. No, no we haven't. I'll, I'll let you take the honors because I keep wanting to call him Dikembe Mutombo, <laughs> and that's that's somebody totally different. Well, the elephant in the room is that suddenly there's no more book to news. <laughs> the, uh, the the last book news we ran was a little bit. Uh, weird and and confusing, and it included Jillian uh, Fl- Flynn break uh, divorcing Skip Papersley to start dating 
booked news intern Gene Teenman. Um, yeah, where the fuck did that guy even come from? I didn't even know Book News had an intern. Well, I've I've actually done a little bit of research, not as not as much as I would have liked to before this episode, but check this <laughs> you out. Googled him. Well, <laughs> we have a friend, Brayton Cameron, right? Yes, good friend of the show. Brayton Cameron, good friend of the show. He's been on a couple times. He hosted the booked uh, live event. He had his own podcast called The Pitch mm-hmm. uh, with his friend Gary Butterfield, and. Um, during the run of that that podcast, which is is no longer doing episodes, um, they had a run in with a guy named Gene Teenman, oh. who uh, who got them into some some legal trouble over some some of their inventions and stuff. So, I think that the common thread here is that Gene Teenman is is kind of the the guy that makes bad stuff happen to people. Um, he's a little prick. He's kind of a dick. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we're, we're, I don't know if booked news is gone for good or just on hiatus, but, uh, thankfully and, um, and entirely coincidentally, um, we, we have a new, uh, different kind of news related thing by, uh, Malik Tambali. Does that sound right? The, the Kembe Matumbo. Yep. Malik Tambali. <laughs> Um, and it's, uh, and it's a very, uh, I, I feel it's got a very NPR feel to it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting cause obviously we're not NPR, but that we, we picked up this segment that sounds like it would fit right in to, um, to that particular, I've never listened to NPR. Usually on Stitcher, it follows us up if you keep listening and I always have to turn that shit off. We think that my favorite, all right, my favorite moment so far in, in the two or three that we've had from Malik Timbali is uh, when he was talking about one of the episodes, he was talking about what was coming up after booked on on, on NPR because the whole idea is the the conceit is that we're on NPR, um, and one of the things that was coming up was um, a, a show called Urban Perspectives, which was a <laughs> white suburban roundtable of inner city issues, and I thought that was just so hilarious. Um. Yeah, it's. I gotta tell you, the first episode I heard, I was listening to this as Rob sent it over right before we we did the podcast, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is just terrible!" And then it totally delivered at the end. So that's a little bit of how these go: is that don't tune out in the first minute or so of words I view. Um, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. And uh, we have another edition of that, which we're gonna throw right at you now. Radio Broadcasting, where we look at the world of books through the eye of words. I'm Malik Tumbale, and this week's show is thanks to a generous donation from the Peace Corps. The Peace Corps. Sorry you're poor. Here are our most ambitious white girls. Is this good enough? On this episode, we were inspired by Edward St. Aubin's new novel, Lost for Words, a satire on literary awards, winning 
the Bollinger Everyman Wodehouse Prize for Comic Fiction, as well as the Public Radio Broadcasting Alanis Morissette Award for Irony. And on today's show, we'll be discussing Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal. Here is an excerpt. I have been assured by a very knowing American of my acquaintance in London that a young, healthy child, well-nursed, is at a year old a most delicious, nourishing, and wholesome food. Swift's use of satire in this piece brought light to a very real issue in Ireland, the starvation of the poor and working class. It brought negative attention to schemes to help the poor while fattening wallets of the rich and addressed the idea that low income for workers makes poor people work harder. But what did you think? Here are some tweets. At Phi Beta said, OMG, who would eat a baby? They're not even gluten-free. At OV Reactor tweeted, I demand you quit and your show be taken off the air for suggesting we eat babies. And at Bori Jory said, I read this when I was in high school, and I still don't get it. What is sad tire? Now the New York Times bestsellers in fiction, Bicycle Pairings of the Week. Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch Hugs the Road on a Fixed Gear Bicycle. David Baldacci's The Target Glides Effortlessly on a Fixed Gear Bicycle. Walking on Water by Richard Paul Evans is a miracle, like a fixed-gear bicycle. John Sanford's Fields of Prey is a sweet thrill ride, like a fixed-gear bicycle. And finally, Unlucky 13 by James Patterson is wobbly and unstable, like a penny farthing. Thank you for opening your eyes with me, Malik Tumbali, and Words Eye View. Coming up next after Booked, is This American Loaf, Ira Grass's personal look at bread and the people that need it. PBR, Public Broadcast Radio. All right, I got to be honest with you. I don't even know what the fuck a fixed gear bicycle is, but that was goddamn funny. <laughs> just You know what a fixed gear bicycle is? I mean, I can kind of figure it out. I just didn't know that there was a thing. Like, people actually referred to a, a bike as being fixed gear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you're well. that's the hipster test. You're, you're definitely not a hipster. Um, but they're also, you could slang refer to it as a fixie. Mm. Have you ever heard Fixie? No, no, no. I got to be honest with you. I don't talk to anybody who rides a bicycle for any reason. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm like uh, yelling at them out my car window, like "Get the fuck out of the way!" I'll run you off the goddamn road. Yeah. All right. Well, that will that will happen. I like the wobbly <laughs> bicycles. <laughs> Gotta love the Malik uh, Timbali. Oh, Malik Timbali, thank you again for another wonderful Words Eye View. And we look forward to more of those until Gene Tiedemann fucks that up, too. Yeah, Gene Tiedemann's going to eventually take that out. Maybe we'll, by that time we'll have some Skip Papersley back in our lives. I miss that little guy. Can, can I just... I miss him, too, but can I just say, God, I don't want to end up on NPR because I don't think those people make any money. 
which I guess <laughs> isn't any worse shape than we're in right now. I mean, it's going to be the same. The only the only difference is like if we were uh, on NPR every like two months, we'd have to do like three days of of um, like phone bank call in shit, like fundraising. <laughs> We've done the call in part. We just never asked anybody for any money. Maybe that's what we're doing. That's wrong. what we're doing wrong. Damn it! We got to adopt the uh, the public radio, the NPR format of just like hey call in but call in so we can ask you to give us money <laughs> let's start writing a phone number on the inside of books <clears throat> oh god See if people call them i'm gonna tell them i'm god and tell them to send me money <sighs> all right did you like my god voice when we did book theater did you notice how much it sounded like my regular voice oh i see what you did there <laughs> <laughs> Did you like how uh, like my my voice got a little campier as as the conversation went along, dude? That but that's how it felt when we were reading, it, so that was perfect. <sighs> but yeah, the the two episodes of booked um, theater did lead me to believe that there's no reason we should ever be reading short stories out loud. Right. Uh, we're also yeah we shouldn't be actors. This is true. Yeah. Yes, I know this as well. Um, not a lot else to talk about tonight. Can I talk about one thing that's very exciting for me and probably nobody else in the whole world? Yeah. The other day, as I opened up Magnificent Vibration to read again, I, like, it was gone. Like, you know, with the Kindle, it opens the last page you're on. Mm. And I'm looking, I go, my Kindle got wiped because I don't see any of the, like, recent books in my front thing. And I see, like, a Kindle starter guide and then something called Kindle Free Time. And I go, what the hell is this? Well, I got an update. Which apparently was only for Kindle Paperwhites. Dude, for this thing that I've had for like a year and a half now, I think, so I've had the Kindle um, Paperwhite, got like a major update, which was pretty goddamn cool. So I know that most people are reading on their iPads or iPhones or those, um, what are those other ones called? The ones made out of wood? Paper books? Books, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, goddamn it, I love my Kindle. <laughs> Kindle got this, wood. <laughs> this major, major update. Um, that includes, so if you haven't, if you have a paper white and you haven't powered on in a while, go ahead and get it online. This will download and apparently install all by itself and confuse the shit out of you. Um, but here's a couple of things that you got. So if you have little ones, um, you can actually create personal personalized profiles for kids using this Kindle free time where it basically they can keep um, track of their you know reading process or progress and they can get achievement badges like Caleb Ross every time he drinks a beer. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, so they don't read your, your smutty um, Christian erotica or, or whatever if you got some on your Kindle. Um, they've connected to Goodreads now, which is not surprising um, based on the fact that I think Amazon bought Goodreads, was it like a year ago? It was quite a while ago, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, so there's some, some Goodreads integration. Um, you can actually do this thing where you can skim the book page by page without losing your spot. And I thought it was really weird because they say, like, you could flip to and read the ending like, and not lose your spot. Who the hell does that? Um, but it's kind of cool if you want to scroll through to look for something. Um, so I haven't played with all of them yet, but there is a, a lot of cool... I mean, um, dictionary now, when you, when you look up something in the dictionary, um, it has, like, a smart... I don't know, a smart... I guess it's called Smart Lookup because I'm looking at my screen. Um, where if it's like three words that are individual, if it is a phrase that's used um, commonly, and I don't remember what the example was, but it'll actually pull up like a Wikipedia-type page that'll explain to you 
I, I don't know, like, what comes to mind is, like, Wrath of God. Like, you know, before you could have looked up Wrath and it would explain to you what Wrath was, Wrath of God might take you to a whole different biblical thing explaining what that is. Right. Versus just a one-word lookup. So lots of really cool stuff for, you know, a device I bought a year and a half ago and expected to get zero updates on. It just popped up the other day, so I thought that was pretty neat. Can I tell you, um, I have been using my Kindle lately um, mm -hmm. because I sold my iPad that I had and I haven't uh, bought my replacement iPad yet, so I'm kind of in between. Mm -hmm. And um, my Kindle is the keyboard one I've owned for like four years now. I don't think they're doing any updates for that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, I, I don't know. And I thought with my old Kindle, there was an update, but you had to like go online and download it and install it. And so I don't know. This, yeah. like I said, just kind of kind of messed me up, man. Like it just showed up out of nowhere. I thought like I'd lost my my books and stuff that were on there. So, anyway, very cool stuff. I haven't gotten a chance to play with it. I do know it screwed me up because for some reason they decided to move um, the highlight key, which I use a lot. Like when you you know you hold down your finger on part of the screen, and it uh, it pulls up a menu. Or, you know you can select some stuff, and that pulls up a menu for you to highlight it or share it or do whatever. For some reason, they felt the need to move it from one like the bottom left corner to the top right corner. Just enough for me to hit the wrong button every time I try to highlight something reading this book. So that pissed me off a little bit. I did see that they said there's an enhanced bookmarks, highlights, and notes, which for me, um, it, it, that's the one reason that I prefer to read on on, uh, on an e-reader is because it's easier to do um, highlights and notes and stuff like that. Um, for the podcast, it's kind of invaluable. So I always get excited when I see that there's any kind of improvements to something like that. I didn't check, but I would have to imagine that the digital Kindle, um, by digital I mean like the, the iPad and Android versions, probably got a lot of these same updates because there's no reason it couldn't just be quickly written into that software if they could do it on the, the standard Kindle hardware. Oh, yeah. Look at you thinking. So, so yeah, I, I would have to imagine that, that, but I don't, I mean I have read on a tablet and on my phone, but typically it's straight to my Kindle. So at any rate, you might be able to preview some of that if you're using it on an iPad. I had a thought uh, a minute ago. And we're just going to jump right back to Magnificent Vibration, if that's okay with you. Oh, I'm perfectly fine with more Rick Springfield. All right, you ready for this? I'm going to blow your fucking mind. You ready? Yep. What the hell does the title mean? <laughs> oh, Rick Springfield. I have no idea. Rick Springfield, no idea. if you're listening, um, sorry we didn't really think your book was anything good but if can you explain the title just tell us like i mean i know it was like the title of the book that they had and that what brought them together but there's never an explanation of what the title for that book means um or subsequently what uh the book that we got is uh, the only thing i can think of is like sometimes you'll have a song that has a weird name that doesn't have anything to do with like what the song means and maybe he's just kind of going by like songwriter standards or something i don't know I did miss the book signings for um, for Rick Springfield in the Chicagoland area, and I'm kind of glad I did because I'd hate to show up there and be like, "Oh, Mr. Springfield, I love you. Sign my book," and be like, "You sound really familiar." <laughs> God, say you? I don't know, something weird like that, and have him like be really pissed at me because I do. I really love Rick Springfield. I don't know that I will be reading any more of his fiction, but I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's going to be any more Rick Springfield fiction books written after this one. Judging from how what when you told me how old he was, that's probably going to be true no matter what. Oh man, dude, what did we figure out? He's like sixty six. Uh, what year was he born? Forty something. 
49. So 65? Dude, it's 2014. Right. And he would have been 51 in 2000. And then 15, 14 more. 65. Years. Yeah, you're right. All right. Yeah. Good math. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's 93. Can I tell you? That's the math. The, yeah. Dude, hold on a second. I, I hate to go back to this. There are... This can't be right. <laughs> oh, my God. Where, where the hell did it go? You're looking at Amazon was, reviews, aren't you? Holy shit. I'm pretty sure it said there's 212 reviews for this book. It's been out for like three weeks. That can't be. I thought it was like 15. So the Kindle edition has 19. Oh, you know what? I'm looking at his other book. Never mind. The Late Late at Night, which, okay. 16 five-star reviews, two four-star reviews, one two-star review. I think we have to go and see what the two-star review has to say. I read the two-star review. It's like a super Rick Springfield, like, chick fan from his, like, music who was, like, really insulted about how he talked about religion and God. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I didn't, but I did notice this part. She says, for me, it's a two and a half star, but no halvesies allowed here. See, at least we upgrade when we're on a half, right? We give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. That's why we're professionals at what we do. There's some one-star reviews for his other book. <laughs> yeah, but overwhelmingly, and I've heard this from a lot of people. Kevin Helmick read it and said it was really great. We were talking to him on our on our road trip, and he had said he really enjoyed it. Yeah, I pulled it up, and I looked at the other one. I'm like, how the hell are there 212 reviews? Stephen King books get 212 reviews. <laughs> oh. All right. All right, I might want to. I might want to talk about one of the one-star reviews for his other book. All right, let's do this. There's a uh, the user's name is s. l. v. Mm-hmm. Um, the title of the review is the one-star review is disappointed, which is spelled wrong. The entire review is in caps lot in capital letters. Being a huge fan of Rick Springfield, I was excited to read this book. Space period. Was real tired of all the sexual content and f bombs through the through space out. So not throughout, but throughout book. I know he was letting people know his life, but I don't think we needed to know that much. I think he needs some major help controlling his sexual urges. I am surprised his wife stays with him. What wife would, unless she is in it for the money? With no punctuation at the end. Dude, maybe all that Woody stuff was right. Maybe that is autobiographical. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's a memoir, and the guy's complaining about Rick Springfield talking about his life. Yeah. I don't know if this guy understands what a memoir is. Let's see what else he's bought. Maybe he's got some comfortable slippers. <laughs> twist holder, clip bun hair twist, breed tool. Right. This might be a woman that wrote that, by the way. Uh, it could be a could be a girl. It's probably a girl. I'm going to guess that most of the reviews are, are from women. Hannah Gold. I have, not, I have not read it. I have the book. I have not read it. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully it's it's a it's a step up from what we got today. Maybe this was uh, building you up to have a better experience with his autobiography. Let's put a, that silver lining out there. Yep. Yep. I'm going to. Uh, what the hell is Facebooking Rick Springfield and other musings of a scattered writer? Why are we not doing a YouTube thing just on goddamn Amazon? I think we need... <laughs> that might be our next venture if we uh, 
if we decide we have the n enough free time, do a little uh, we read Amazon reviews kind of thing. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before, but uh, I think it, it might be time. Someone actually suggested we do video author interviews on uh, on YouTube, and, and I'm thinking that that might not be such a bad idea. My only drawback to, to doing anything on YouTube is I've seen the Caleb Ross stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to be Caleb Ross. It's true. I mean, let's face it, Caleb Ross doesn't want to be Caleb Ross. And let's be fair that doing the author interviews on YouTube suggestion came from an author, so it might be a little self-serving. That author did say, though, <laughs> if you're listening, we're not going to mention who you are, but did say, everybody's got one of those webcams. Well, I don't. I love that guy. God damn it. Oh, uh, no. And now that I've said I love that guy, everyone's like, David James Keaton doesn't have a webcam? <laughs> He's got an electronic cricket. He does have an electronic cricket. So look forward to that. We might be doing some YouTube stuff because YouTube actually pays. My understanding. I've been I work with a guy who's been doing some YouTube videos. That's right. And I now understand the pay structure of YouTube, and we could be like hundred airs in months. Yeah, by this time next year, we could uh, um, have a hundred bucks. <laughs> you know, at least at least enough to fund one episode of book. Wow. That's um, yeah. the allure of that is is it's almost irresistible. Almost, although we've been resisting it for what a year now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. All right. At any rate, um, we've babbled on enough. Next up, uh, probably a couple episodes, two, maybe three. I don't think we quite figured it out yet, but we're going to be bringing you Noir at the Bar, in Milwaukee, um, the Noir at the Cantina Pizzeria, <laughs> as mentioned by by Triple A earlier. Um, great time, lots of good content, and that's going to be coming up next week. Also, can I tease what, what's coming up after that? Um, you may as well. Um, a booked favorite from way back when, someone who is, uh, has been on the show a couple of times, um, has a collection out. And uh, we're going to be uh, reviewing that collection. Um, I'm thinking she's going to fare better than Rick Springfield. Um, but who knows? <laughs> you never know. I'm hoping that at least one of the stories has um, uh, Ted Nugent in it somewhere. Yep, Ted Nugent and a llama. And probably, there's no way there's not llamas in this book. Yeah, there's no way, unless there's not. And then we're going to be really, really disappointed. Yeah. So, uh, Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>